We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Seaton, taking over Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And we're talking week four preview, Houston Texans against the Buffalo Bills. Your time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place, Ralph Wilson Stadium, Orchard Park, New York. The weather, cloudy, 50% chance of rain. It might be the first ugly game we see here in western New York. Slight wind. The line is the Bills are a 17-point home favorite. As of today, it might get bigger as the week goes on. And on the call, Chris, who do we got? Who do you think would call a Bills-Texans game? It's on CBS. So it's what, on CBS. So what crew do you think we're going to get? See, I assume that that game is like the, they give it the uh, David Archuleta or the uh, Adam Archuleta or the... Uh, with, uh, who else? Who used to work games with him? Adam Archuleta and who? Tom, Tom, no, Tom McCarthy, I think. Tom was, McCarthy? No, we get even worse. We get Beth Moens and Tiki Barber on the call on CBS, whoa, 1 o'clock. Whoa, whoa. Guys, this is one of those games where I'm glad that I'm going to be at the stadium because that broadcast has the potential to be Millen-esque. Matt Millen-esque, this one. Tiki Barber... He's not good. Yeah, played the game. That's fine. He doesn't. He he can't. He can't talk one of about the, it in real time. One of the lower about. level game analysts, and I would be surprised. I'd be shocked if this game is shown anywhere locally outside of Houston and/or Western and Central New York. I don't even know if they extended as far as Syracuse. They might only put it in like five bars downtown. That's how bad this game is going to be. Should we put a Seagrams on that? Because <laughs> the, co- the, the coverage map will will come out 
shortly. I'm pretty I think sure. it. I think it'll hit Syracuse. Jesus. I think the cutoff will be those poor bastards because they don't even want to watch this. Yeah, I think it'll be the cutoff point will be uh, like Utica. Utica. Do you want to do Seagrams on that? I think it'll go past Syracuse. Past Syracuse? I'll drink a Seagrams then. I don't think it will. There we go. We've never done this kind of... Uh... There we go. Seagrams bet on the map. Injuries to watch. For the Buffalo Bills, there's only one, and it's strong safety Jordan Poyer. He's questionable with an ankle injury. I mean, he left last game and was seen in a walking boot, but says that it's minor, and this is all just precautionary. Chris, would you play him in a game that you know you're probably, you don't need him? If you tweak something. No, this is like what we talked about yesterday with the potential to use Spencer Brown if we get up heavy in this game. Mm-hmm. I would say, I would probably say we don't need to really play Poyer. Whoever, At all. Yeah, who's our other safety, right? Not, uh, not, not going not, not to matter. I don't know our depth at, <laughs> or who's at depth at safety, but if it's a... Jaquan rookie, Johnson. Right, he's um, second-year player. Jaquan Neal. Jaquan Johnson's second year, right? Third. Second or third? Get him some playing time against Houston. Yeah. This, this. Meanwhile, when you look at Houston, they're interesting on the injury front. Kahimi Fairbairn, their kicker. Activated off the IR this week. Safety Justin Reed is questionable. Terrence Mitchell, a linebacker, a cornerback, linebacker Camu Garuger Hill. I, I I can't read his name correctly. Like I always mispronounce it. They're all questionable. What about the fan base? They should be on the injury list for having to watch this fucking team. <laughs> and wide receiver Danny Danny Amendola, doubtful. For this contest. That's a lot of experiences potentially on the sidelines for Houston. I mean, the biggest names for me would be the loss of Gruger Hill, who had a great game for him against Cleveland before he got hurt. And the additions of Fairbairn and Reed. Here's what would happen if you had both of those players. First of all, Reed has two picks in just two games this year at safety. And is one of the more veteran players in that secondary. could represent a kind of a steadying presence some of their facets of their execution that we're going to talk about here. Joey Sly. He was a dude who I took in fantasy football, and he actually kind of won me a bunch of games because the Carolina Panthers were so bad when he was there. He was just kicking 56-yarders on the red. So when you can get 18 points from a kicker once every three weeks, you win a lot of games. He was an okay replacement on a bad football team for Houston as far as kickers go, but you saw it on Thursday night. That guy sucks. He missed yeah, he an extra point. falling off the map. Fairbairn has proven that he can be relied on both in close and from distance. And so in that way, his addition might be a sizable boon to the offense because he can score points from distance that you didn't trust Joey Sly to do last week. This game feels weird, right? If we're just talking about the feel of this contest, I, this idea that we're going to have a home game and then we're not going to be at the stadium again or have Sunday Bills football to watch until Halloween. I mean, that is, but... That, that's a whole month without Sunday Bills football that's... outside of this game. Like, this is the this is the edge of the cliff. Okay, but let what me... What am I going to do? Uh, well, it's... 
Halloween is the Dolphins. So with the Dolphins coming, you also get Travis Wingfield in town. So pre pre night adult beverages, and then hopefully in maybe no maybe we do a little audio. We'll we'll figure that out. But either way, us Wingfield in town beers. I feel like uh, was I feel like uh, Andy from the office? Yeah, me puke rally. Drink more beers. Drink leftover beers. No. Wouldn't you want to rub elbows with some of Miami's finest, like you and Omar Kelly? <laughs> Please. Omar <laughs> Kelly can't rub my elbow. That dude sucks. No. Travis Winfield. It's going to be fun to get to see that kid. And it's also going to be fun to go out after that game and trick or treat. Oh, yeah, no. My wife has already made me commit to that. I can't wait till that week when we can talk about it. We already have a group costume worked out. Rick and Morty. Don't know it. I hate you. She goes, I'm a redhead. I have white pants, like white capris, and a pink shirt. I could just wear that. We bought Jack a little yellow shirt and some jeans that he can wear, and he can be my Morty. She goes, you're just going to have to spray your hair white and then just be drunk and burp at people. I go, honey, after the Dolphins game, I'm sure that's not going to be a problem. Way. It just feels weird that this is the cliff until a bunch of away games. I haven't gotten to host a Bills game at my house. Chris, you know what that is for me. Yeah, it's uh, you get pizza and wings, and then you yell at either me or your wife about how we put pizza and wings on a table because yeah. we didn't do it correctly. <laughs> I love how you've pared it down to that, and yet you're not wrong. Yeah, You're like, how awful is your life where, like, that's a problem for you? How pizza... Oh, no, my life is great. It's how, just a thing that annoys me, and I don't have a filter. Yeah, well, it's... I feel like you it, both have voluntarily decided to be a part of my life, and if so, you can put up with this. No, it's just because you want... You want all of the praise, like, no, regardless... No, absolute control is yeah. what I want. I want absolute control. Yeah, you're like a... I like that pizza tilted a certain way. If you don't do it, well, then we have a problem. So yeah. you should just let me do it. Like, we should just start referring to you as Andrew Hitler. Chris, you're going to offend people. Not Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We can't be so offensive. Not my problem. <laughs> it's a weird scheduling stretch, but it's a great time to have the Sunday ticket. We're about to have a bunch of low-key Sunday footballs at the Drew Gear House before some raucous Sunday and Monday night games. Dude, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait. But before we hit that stretch, we have a meeting with the Houston Texans that feels... Doesn't it feel like a speed bump? Like, it feels anticlimactic. I I don't even know the right word. Anticlimactic? Uh, Muted? Neutered? I don't know. It feels like like this is going to be an exhibition. During the preseason... It was going to be the second of two games versus the ghosts of Bill's season's past. Like, that's what I thought. I figured this would be Josh Allen exercising the ghosts of Christmas past, like like a cooler version of Ebenezer Scrooge, in Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tyrod Taylor. A chance for us to show our appreciation from the stands for both of these players, and yet also to see our quarterback illustrate 
by finally having this on-field apples-to-apples comparison. Because, Chris, you hear the bullshit. People are like, oh, people don't give Tyrod enough credit. If Tyrod had had this and Tyrod had that, if Tyrod was running this offense, this could put them both on the same. Or Ryan Fitzpatrick, if they were like, if Ryan Fitzpatrick had this defense, it would have given them an apples-to-apples side-by-side comparison as to just how far our quarterback situation has come since the days both of those guys were our sacred cows. Instead, we're going to see some rookie named David, 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 David. It's Davis Mills. Doesn't matter. Who you can't convince me isn't a giraffe doing that thing where three raccoons get on each other's shoulders and put a trench coat on and try to sneak into the movies by pretending they're a real human being. Yeah, that's Davis Mills. He's the dude leading, <laughs> leading the Houston Texans offense. I, he tried hard on Thursday Night Football this past week, but he certainly doesn't look like he's ready to compete for much, despite having a surprisingly hot one, what, one and a half game start to the season. Yeah. God, the Texans team looked like they could be something, but it was against Cleveland and Jacksonville. If we're going to start this preview anywhere, I start with David Culley, their head coach. And the reason I do that is because everyone, myself included, laughed at the fact they hired this guy. And you can't blame me. He oversaw the Kansas City wide receiver room that scored no touchdowns. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Dwayne Bow, when he was in his like last year of relevance in the NFL, Dwayne Bow and a bunch of other characters got together to comprise for no wide receiver touchdowns? How hilarious is that? How do you run a football team that way? And then a couple years later, you're in back-to-back Super Bowls. I actually think we lost. Jeff Toole lost us that game. Yeah, I remember. Those, to those Kansas City Tool time. He was the passing game administrator for a Baltimore team that had two of the league's worst passing attacks with Lamar Jackson at the helm under his tutelage. He had a cup of tea with the Bills as a quarterback coach in an era where Tyrod Taylor didn't elevate his game as a passer at all. But watching this undermanned Texans roster fly around playing hard and beating up on some quality opponents, it's actually funny that we scoffed at him more than the hire of Urban Meyer. Even though I didn't think Urban Meyer was going to do well in Jacksonville, I thought that David Culley was the most hilarious coaching hire. We've since learned that it's Urban Meyer. I can't wait for the guys from Down by the Bank to come on this podcast and talk to us about it. Because by that point, they'll probably be 0-8. And what, like just praying for death? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. (laughs) Either way. He seems far more suited to the job of being a head coach because if, if for nothing else, he hasn't said anything that causes his team to be investigated by the NFL and the NFL Players Association. Now, considering that he made a 30-minute video on the Bill O'Brien firing and the Watson trade demand prior to all the allegations against him coming to light, I felt like it was only appropriate to reach out to the guy who, if not for some personal business, would have been here on our show tonight Brett Coleman, creator of the Film Room on YouTube and host of the Bootleg Football Podcast and a long-suffering Texans fan, just to see what he thought of David Culley. 
And so when I look at his response, it's it's eye-opening to a certain degree, Chris, because you think about what we thought about our coaches hire. Like Sean McDermott, he – some people like – Jerry Sullivan. Jerry Sullivan might have trashed the move. But a lot of people were willing to be optimistic. And it seems like the Houston Texans were just like, look, it can't get worse than it was. This is what Brett Coleman had to say. Now, my, bear with me here because it's long, but it's insightful. The thing with Cully is that he doesn't really bring anything to the table as far as scheming or game planning like a lot of other great head coaches hires have done over the last few years. But he is genuinely a great dude, and the players like him, so they won't outrightly quit on him. He leaves the X's and O's to his coordinators and just focuses on people, which is an approach that can actually work around the league. Harbaugh does it, Tomlin does it, and even Vrabel does it to an extent. It's more of a CEO-type head coach than a boy-wonder coordinator type, which is supposed is a good person to have right now, considering the, what the franchise is going through. They need to have a coach that players respect as a person. But on the flip side, if you're going to have a coach like that, you need to have rock star coordinators underneath him to handle all the other important stuff like scheme and game planning. And they don't really have that, especially on defense. The game passed up Lovey Smith years ago, and he still hasn't figured that out. In the end, though, none of this matters because Jack Easterby sucks, insert mule expletive here, and the owner has way too many personal demons to even be a below-average showrunner, let alone a good one. The franchise rotted at the top, and it's going to be like that until the McNair family sees attendance fall low enough to just give up and sell the team. That's the team we're going up against, Chris. I like it. Does that... I mean, Chris, how does that make you feel hearing that about the guy leading the team we're about to go to war with? Well, the Texans' job coming into the offseason was not... If you were to rank him, that would have been dead last because you knew that uh, Watt was gone. Deshaun Watson wanted a trade. Uh, Hopkins was traded to Arizona. So, like, all these main pieces you have that you could build around the game are gone. The franchise relevance. Yeah. Any relevance at all. They're all gone. Yeah. Now, like, how long is David, is this, how long is David Coley going to be there? Is this going to be like Chip Kelly in San Francisco, one and done? I don't know. But a lot of the questions to his point, I have to start on the defensive side of the ball. Because he said it, it's up to his coordinators to do the heavy lifting because David Culley, as a former wide receivers coach, doesn't, what does he know about defense? What does he know about coordinating an offense? No, he's leaning on his coordinators and his talent. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And on the defensive side of the ball, they've been playing some interesting football, to call it that. Middle of the pack in terms of scoring defenses, which is promising for them. And they put up a tough three quarters against the Panthers on Thursday night. Which, if you're looking at the numbers, are one of the NFL's better offenses out of the gate here in 2021. But pressures and sacks have eluded them. Considering through three games, the team has almost as many pressures as the Bills had in Week 2 against Miami. The ripple effect of that is that the Texans have essentially some of the worst coverage grades in the NFL. And it has them ranked 22nd in passing yards allowed. Despite playing three teams in Jacksonville, Cleveland, and Carolina that have never been known as world beaters through the air. And now you're going to come in here and do what, Chris? You're going to play the Buffalo Bills with the defense 22nd in passing yards allowed? Great. I'm sure that'll go well. This is the equivalent of the Globetrotters and the Washington Generals. That's what this matchup is. And, uh, well, if I can pull up the Twitter machine here... Who was the man, Chris? You do it for me. My producer. Who tweeted at us the name of the Harlem Globetrotter song? I don't Scroll remember. Down. His name is Lee... Lee Harvey Oswald? No, because if there was a Lee Harvey Oswald, he would have taken care of that haircut of yours already. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who it was. Not His important. His name is Jacob Robert Lee Jr. He... I'll tell you what, fan of uh, Lackawanna Vince? Yeah. Friend of Lackawanna Vince, he's actually going to be at the game soon. We're going to tailgate with him. You are. I won't be there. Well, I will. It's going to be fun. But he tweeted in that Sweet Georgia Brown is the song that the Harlem Globetrotters use. Remember how you always joke about calling if you know the answer? Yeah. He actually did. Well, he tweeted in the answer weeks ago. The reality is that in terms of coverage, we've seen teams taking away Allen's favorite routes from 2020. The deep crosses, the comebacks. By using these cloud coverages and these combinations of zone and man, but when I look at the Texans' defense, I just don't see how they're prepared at all to play that style of defense. And the Bills run a lot of 3 by one sets and 11 personnel. Now, as Brett alluded to in his response, The defensive coordinator game escaped Lovey Smith years ago. He hasn't been a defensive coordinator since the early 2000s, back in the 2001-2003 Rams. Remember the ones that almost beat the Patriots if they weren't spying on them? Yeah. (laughs) It's the Patriot way. And while the Texans had previously been something of an aggressive 3-4 defense, Smith is in love with this idea of the Tampa 2. He's taken it to every team he's ever worked for, including the University of Illinois, who recently fired him for being bad at that job. That's going to be problematic for him, because the Tampa 2 is supposed to win by dominating in the trenches and having the areas teams might dump the ball off into taken away. 
or to at least turn them into dangerous throws that give you turnover opportunities. But they can't do that. And in return, nothing else seems to work. It's a real square peg, round hole situation. I mean, their defensive back group doesn't look to be deep enough to handle the Bills when they go three and four wide by virtue that the system that they've chosen to tie themselves to doesn't have the lack of depth. Or, excuse me, doesn't have the necessary depth. Uh, Christian Kirksey. You remember that name, right? Heard of him. Did he play linebacker for the Packers? Almost came here? Yeah. Bills were interested in him last year. He leads their team in coverage grade. Beyond him, when you organize things just by who takes the most snaps and then look at the grades, they have two cornerbacks, a safety and a linebacker who lead their team in snaps played. And they all have some of the worst coverage grades, not even just on their roster, but in the NFL as starters. And they haven't faced a single prolific passing attack or a quarterback who finished in the top 10 for last season's passing yards. How how rough of a look is that? It's very, very rough. Chris, when I, when I explain these things to you and I give you these metrics, does it make you feel better about that 17-point line? No, I'm going to stay away from this game. I know. I know. But then let's talk about their offense. I take a look and I dig into what their offensive line is. That's where it starts. With the questions surrounding the quarterback spot, typically a rushing attack would be something that opponents would key on. And I think that that could also prove problematic for Houston when you look at the numbers, because so far you've seen that. They're at the bottom of the NFL. I mean, they're 27th in rushing first downs per game at 4.3. Buffalo is tied for third in the NFL with nine. The running backs haven't really been a focal point of the passing attack. Outside of Lindsay's 22-yard touchdown catch and run a week ago, the position group as a whole has only nine catches on the season, and every running back is averaging a negative yards before the catch figure, which tells me they're basically just screen game targets and emergency dump-offs, not actually a focal point of the passing game. So in that way, you'd think that they'd be trying to say, listen, our passing attack is struggling. Let's get you involved on the ground to at least justify the fact that you exist on this roster. But their offensive line is playing so poorly that it's kind of relegated them to a... It almost feels like an. it would take an act of Congress to get these guys to accomplish anything meaningful. They have two offensive linemen, Justin Britt, at center, and right guard Justin McCray, who have positive run blocking grades. Okay? They rank one and three on the football team. Then you have to drop all the way down to 15th on the team behind all of the wide receivers and even Tyrod Taylor. You know, the quarterback who pulled his hamstring. Before you can find another offensive lineman whose run block ranking is better than that. That's a degree of pathetic I've never seen. Like, I'm glad Brett's not here because I'm going to shovel a lot of dirt on this fucking football team. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. That's a true. When I started digging into this, I, I hoped that I could come away with some salient, poignant things to say to kind of make people think that, listen, this is going to be a back and forth. And everything I looked at just made it worse in my eyes. That's reflected in all their stats. There's not a single Texans running back who's averaging more than 1.8 yards before contact. 
to put that into perspective for what it means for Bills fans, remember last year how Bills fans everywhere were pissed because our rushing attack was generating too many negative plays and just couldn't be relied on to make significant contributions game in and game out, right? Yeah. I mean, now through three games, we've fixed that, correct? Allegedly. Allegedly. Last year, when we all hated what our running attack was giving us, our running backs were averaging 2.2 yards before contact. Houston, right now, is worse in that regard. Far worse. And one of the most damning things about it is that Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard, a guy a guy they took in the first round, and a player they traded away a boatload of capital for, are the team's worst contributors in that regard, at left tackle and left guard. It's a problem that they don't have an answer for. Their offensive line sucks at run blocking. The one thing that might be able to steady your offense I mean, I saw the joke somewhere on Twitter that Houston, right now, with Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, and Mark Ingram, have 2016's best running back stable, if you were talking about fantasy football. I like it. The reality is they're all decent players. I mean, Lindsay has chops. You like his ability as a scat back, right? Allegedly. Mark Ingram is only a year removed from a 1,000-yard season in a team that ran the ball a ton. But they also had a good offensive line. David Johnson. He was great in Arizona. No, he was Wait, what? David Johnson? David Johnson was... He had one good season. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is where we are, trying to find nice things to say about this team. It's hard. It's legitimately difficult. But when you have no room to operate before defenders are in the backfield and your offensive line has allowed, through three games, 17 tackles for loss, what are you supposed to do for them? I don't know. That's going to be hard for... Uh, <laughs> it's going to be hard for the Texans to win any any games this year. Like, they won't be able... They won't be able to, to stack wins as high as Davis Mills' neck. <laughs> I mean, this offensive line is just too disjointed to lay a foundation for them to find success on the ground, meaning the entirety of their offensive production is put on the shoulders of whoever's throwing the football for them. And that brings us to this giraffe-looking son of a bitch, Davis Mills. I mean, this poor bastard. I, Chris, imagine getting your dream job and finding out that it's on a company that's sinking. Like, we're on the verge of bankruptcy, but you get to be, you get to hold your job that you've always wanted. But we're about to go out of business. <laughs> it's like being the mayor of North Tonawanda. <laughs> I mean, that's what Houston is like. For a, they're like the North Tonawanda of football teams, is what <laughs> the Texans are. I mean, I can't imagine how I'd feel if I was sitting in Mills' shoes, knowing how my first NFL start went. And then watch, I'm sitting in the film room watching the last two Bills games, watching the work our defense is doing and going, it's cool. It's all going to be fine. I'm going to have confidence. <laughs> I'm going to have some confidence. One, one game, they literally killed a guy. Well, not literally, but almost. 
<laughs> they killed him. <laughs> what is that? Oh, yeah. Frank. <laughs> he, th- he threw a trident. Yeah, I mean, talk to you about that. You're right. You might want to lay low for a while. You're, there's probably a warrant. You're probably wanted, wanted for, for murder. murder. That's what the Bills' defense was against Miami. And then against Washington, we were just ball hawking and making life difficult for them in general. Owning the line of scrimmage, just making things hard. Imagine being in your second NFL start watching the tape on this. How do you, Chris, how do you generate any kind of confidence for this matchup? I don't know how, I don't know where you find any type of confidence. No, I know you don't. That's why I used to have to, I used to have to run your Tinder account. Oh, yeah, we remember that. Oh, yeah. Back in the day. The old podcast listeners know the new ones might not. Folks, Chris used to meet girls on Tinder, and I used to have to start the conversations, and then it was like a father with a kid on a bike with training wheels, where I would have to like, okay, I'm going to send the first five messages, get her into a conversation, now I'm going to turn it over to you, Chris, and let's see how far you can make it before you derail this thing. I derailed it within 10 messages. (laughs) But now look at you. You got a girlfriend, you're happy, you got a great job, life is good in the world of Chris Kruger, right? Yes. You even got a dog together. Well, that wasn't planned. It wasn't voluntary, but... No, but you save it. If you are given the option to save a dog from being drowned, then you take that dog and you... Give it a loving home. Yeah, give it a, give it a home. This is... See, this is what I'm going to... For, for as cold as you seem, you're I've, not that tough. Yeah, dude, I fucking love that dog. I know you do. It's funny that you talk about how, like... Oh, I'm dead inside. No, you're not. That dog? Oh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> Jessica texted me, like, maybe it was last week. She was, like, I'd left to go to work on my one of my two overnight shifts. And she was like, oh, yeah, there's, I let both, she has another dog. I let both dogs out, and there was, like, apparently a fox in the backyard that was, like, stalking the puppy. So, like, now at night when I'm over there and I go outside with the dog, you know, at the end of the night, I go to the bathroom. I walk out there with the hockey stick. I'm ready to, like, hit a fox if I see that thing again just to save that puppy. That's how much I love this goddamn I, I like dog. I your answer is a hockey stick. Well, it's already... The other dog, I'll, I'll have tennis balls out there, and I'll flip the ball up in the air in Do the yard. Do you need yard. a piece? What? Well, well, we could have a whole different two-way conversation, but I'll tell you what. If you need something, let me know. I'll loan it to you. Oh yeah, I, I know. I know you have a whole, a whole <laughs> slew of of things that can that can quote unquote get rid of a fox. <laughs> at the end of the day, when I look at Davis Mills, I we we got sidetracked talking. I just love the fact that you just opened up and talked about it. you had real emotions and love for another thing on this planet. Yeah, I, I love, love it. it. I love that fucking dog. We finally cracked him, podcast family. We finally cracked him. But if we're talking about Davis Mills, he really settled in and started to hum the ball right before the end of the first half against Carolina this past Thursday. Showed a nice spiral, some accuracy. He's got arm power. He's he's a big quarterback. He's Josh Allen's size. I mean, he's not 6'5", but he's tall. He's about 215 pounds. He's got the requisite size and arm strength for the position. And it all, that, that one touchdown drive almost changed my perspective, perspective of him. 
And then in the second half, Carolina ramped up the pressure again, and he just wilted in terms of his ability to throw the ball more than a handful of yards downfield with any kind of consistency. So this is what it comes down to for them. They had no downfield passing against Carolina. I mean, only four passes of more than 10 yards. It's That can't be by design, because remember week one? Tyrod Taylor was airing it out against Jacksonville. That's the reason they won. So they must be trying to protect the young quarterback, but I think that that's a terrible idea, wouldn't you? I mean, considering the damage we did to Washington this week when they were forced to operate that same type of offense. Yeah. I mean, unlike unlike Washington, there is no Scary Terry. There's no Diami Brown. There's no Logan Thomas to save Davis Mills by taking underneath passes and turning them into game-changing plays. There's no no Antonio Gibson to take a 75-yard screen to the house. But you have Brandon Cooks and was it Kiki Kuti? Well, they don't even have him anymore. He's gone. He's gone. They literally have a bunch of. It's like the Island of Misfit Toys. They've got Pharaoh Brown, Anthony Miller, and David Johnson, who all got kicked off other teams and just exiled to Houston, and former star wide receiver Brandon Cooks, who at this point leads the team with thirteen first down receptions. No other player on the roster has more than three. I want, you, I want that to sink in for you guys. One receiver on this Houston team has 13 first down catches. No one else has more than three. Now, I'm not hammered. That's it. Consider the fact that Cole Beasley got five for the Bills last week, and he's not even the, he wasn't even the most targeted wide receiver. How bad does your offense have to be to produce that? I can't even find... Chris, I'm out of adjectives to describe something. I mean, I wish Stephen A. Smith was here. He he has the thesaurus on the ways to describe everything that sucks. And when you look at the target shares through three games, anybody who's stepped under center for the Texans can feel that dynamic. I mean, Cooks has 32 targets through three games. No one else on the roster has double-digit targets, much less double-digit receptions. There's nobody else. That's how painfully bare the cupboard is in terms of players who can bail out a quarterback who's trying to find his footing in the NFL. And Davis Mills was terrible under pressure last week. Going up against a defense as multifaceted as ours, who've illustrated that they can harass opposing offenses from utilizing their top two to three options consistently, and then looking at them and going, you only have one? I think Sean Connery said it best. What do I do the Chris? Do I do the impression or no? No, no Sean one. Sean Connery said it in the Outsiders. You brought a knife to a gunfight. That's what Davis Mills is going up against Josh Allen in this Bills offense. So in summary, I don't see this one going well for the Houston Texans because from their perspective, you've got a decent piece or two. There's not going to be a lot of Sundays where you aren't at a talent, a talent deficit compared to your opponent. So in those moments, to the point that Brett made at the start of this entire conversation, you need a strong coach and strong coordinating performances to buoy the rest of that. But the Texans don't have that. 
And so instead, all they have is a bunch of guys who are going to go out there and play hard, but they lack the coaching experience and the overall talent to execute the nuts and bolts of winning football games. And in that way, I expect their team will, similar to how no matter what people think of the Dolphins, the same way we have the Dolphins number every time we play them, we will outcoach and overwhelm them over the course of 60 minutes. And that brings me to this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. The first one, you scheme to get Diggs and Sanders open. Carolina went into Thursday night football with a clear intent on offense, which was to get your ball in the hands of wide receiver one. Chris, who is that on this team? Diggs, Beasley, Gabe Davis, Jake Kumro. to say the wide receiver. <laughs> Diggs. Diggs. Anyone watching at home knew, hey, they have one major receiving option in Carolina. And if you're the defensive coordinator, Lovey Smith, you have to know that they have one major receiving option in DJ Moore. Yet that didn't stop him from hauling in 8 of 12 targets, more than double of anyone else on the team, for 126 yards and three catches of more than 20. That's when you have one major receiving threat. What are the Texans going to do with us? I feel like the I feel like the Joker, like Jack Nicholson in the in Batman, when he's sitting at uh, after he shoots that dude and smashes his girlfriend's face, and then he's just sitting in the chair and he goes, "Wait till they get a load of me." That's I, how I feel. Well, I think if Diggs and Sanders ball out in the first half, you do have a high probability of somebody in that Texan secondary just turning into Vontae Davis and quitting. <laughs> I mean, that secondary is now one that's overflowing with starting NFL talent. For an offense that runs as many three and four wide receiver sets as ours, this is where, even when they know you're targeting your number one guy, I don't think they're going to be able to have a lot of success stopping him. And now that we've established that both of our outside wide receivers can be a threat, and this is the type of game where your big guns can be fired early and often. I want to see vintage Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs this week. I want to see them get back to that report. A, a 10 to 12 reception, 15 target, 126 yard game. That doesn't seem out of the question, does it? No. I mean, they just gave that to DJ Moore. Is DJ Moore Stephon Diggs? Not even close. Now, kiss my ass. I think we can pull it off. I think, in fact, that both of them have double digit targets on the outside. Also, the deployment of our coverage of Hyde, Poyer, and Milano. One of the biggest hurdles for any young quarterback is to learn how to read the field post-snap. When the alignment of the defense and the picture that you had in your mind of what the coverage is on a given play changes, either intentionally or unintentionally, and you're forced to adjust under pressure. I mean, that's Sean McVay. He found out after that 2018 Super Bowl against the Patriots that Jared Goff wasn't ready for that. Imagine that, Chris. You get all the way to the Super Bowl and find out that your quarterback in a truncated window where you can't coach him through things, can't read a defense. And maybe he never will be. It's the reason he was traded. Well, I'll tell you this. David Mills. Davis. David. Davis. David. David. Dava. It doesn't matter. He's no Jared Goff. He's not even Jared Leto. He's not Jared from Subway. And in that way, this Bills defense is going to have a lot of opportunities to 
in his second start to surprise him with things. This is another game where I think the team would benefit from playing Milano more off the line of scrimmage like they did last week. And in coverage, because he can hit accurate run fits from the back of the box while still giving you that coverage presence. It's incredible. And ever since uh, ever since Brett Coleman pointed it out to us, that's the only thing I think of when I watch Milano is how deep he can set up and still come in and run fill. You can't beat him, but he's still great in coverage. And you saw the what that pass breakup that he had that made all the highlight films. Yeah. He's electric for us as a weak side linebacker. That combined with an already athletically dynamic and scheme fluid safety tandem that can rotate both pre and post snap in this cover three look like to throw out there. It's going to further deter a quarterback who's already gun shy from testing our defensive backs deep. And even more disastrously, if they decide to try and surprise Buffalo with a game plan that calls for downfield shots. Let's run play action and try to test their safeties. It increases the likelihood that he could be hesitant to pull the trigger when he actually sees what the alignment is, resulting in more pressure. And that's not good because our our front seven has proven they can do it. (sighs) Tremaine Edmonds, Zimmer, and Ed Oliver against Justin Britt, Titus Howard, and Max Sharping. If you're looking at those... Chris, the tackle for loss metrics that I just shouted at you. This group on the interior of the offensive line for Houston isn't strong when it comes to run blocking. and Maybe even not very strong as being too generous. Some of these guys should be, if you were on a pirate ship, you'd walk two of them off the plank. If we were on an island and we were stranded, I would have eaten one of them already. Because you're the weakest link. These guys have sucked through three weeks. And you wouldn't be surprised to find out they're also pretty bad in terms of pass protection. Those three players are responsible for more than half the pressures Texan quarterbacks have faced this season. And it's easy to see why. I mean, Justin Britt's coming off of missing the entire 2020 season. Titus Howard's a second-round player who, kind of like Cody Ford, he's in the same boat. He's trying to find a job somewhere. On an NFL offensive line, after being drafted to play tackle and then forced to kick inside when you sucked at that. And Max Sharping is a guy who's a third-year player that hasn't ever really been anything better than average. And probably needs better talent around him in order to look competent. And that's okay when you have a mobile quarterback. It's what saved him against Jacksonville. And I'm convinced that, I mean, look at the Bills. I just got done trashing Cody Ford in in our last podcast. I mean, I'm convinced that Allen is the only reason Ford is an acceptable offensive lineman at this point. Kind of like Tyrod Taylor, who could mask some of the deficiencies and some of the leaky blocking, either with his legs or with just a quick release. That... Houston was giving him, but Davis Mills is not that type of athlete or quarterback. Go read his draft profile. They all talk about it. No matter what outlet you subscribe to, what a poor fit for most NFL offenses this guy is athletically. So if there's a place where the Bills can derail this offense, 
early and often, it's going to be right there in the middle of the trenches, and I think those three players are what the doctor ordered. They love bringing Edmonds downhill into the A-gap pre-snap and then making quarterbacks guess who is and isn't coming on the rush while also trying to fix their protections based on what they're seeing. With that in mind, I think with Edmonds' high pass rush win rate and shitty coverage stats compared to Milano, he's the guy who should get the green light to come downhill. And if you add to that on the defensive line, Justin Zimmer was great last week chasing around Taylor Heineke. And and Oliver, we know what he's capable of when you give him substandard opponents. I mean, remember the Cowboys game a couple years ago? Yeah. They put in a backup, and he immediately just ate Dak Prescott's lunch. Those three defensive players who through the last three weeks have flashed in regards to their dominance in the defensive line could be the most disruptive thing to a Texans offense that's already going to be looking to try and ding and dunk their way down the field or might get ballsy and just trust their young quarterback to say, look, this is a game where we're going to need points. We need you to stand in the pocket and deliver. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, the Texans' approach is going to dictate whether this works or not. They just saw what happens when you orchestrate an offense that's all based around short passes. You score nine points and get blown out. They're going to get wrecked. McDermott is going to make this kid look like a bitch. Well, and that's it. That's the final key is aggressive game plan by everybody involved. This is a game where we're all walking into it genuinely believing that we have them outclassed, outgunned, and overwhelmed from a talent perspective. The final piece to this is that we also think our coaching staff is better than anything that they've put together. I need our staff to go out there and continue proving that they're too much for opponents like this, specifically ones with young quarterbacks. Like You you can't hold our jock, and I need them to show that. I want to see aggressive game plans both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. We know they're capable of it, and we do. Did Leslie Frazier not call the most aggressive front seven game plan that you've ever seen from Leslie Frazier? Yeah. Last week, or two weeks ago, for Miami, excuse me. Last week, when you think about the job Brian Daybold did, working with Josh Allen to just absolutely demolish the, oh, I almost got, the Washington football team. Yeah. Political, political correctness is a motherfucker. It really is. I, you, you need to do a couple things here. First of all, if you're on offense, play action passes early to create room for our running backs to just grind them to death in the second and third quarter. Get, a, get, get out early, fool their poor coverage units, and then just run the ball down their throats so that we can burn clock and not leave guys like Josh Allen up to injury. I mean, that, that, that's the nightmare scenario, right? Yeah. That someone in this game gets hurt. Not even that we won't win, but that someone gets hurt. Here's how you do it. Play action passes early. Create room for our running backs to operate. Let them go to work and grind away this game. You work the outside DBs. I want to see some early screens to keep them off balance. And also from exploiting some of the cracks in our pass protections. Yeah, that's right, Cody Ford. I'm talking about you. Jesus Christ. That guy. Oh. 
And on defense, don't be afraid to dare them to throw to tight ends in a group of painfully underwhelming wide receivers over the middle in the face of pressure because the rest of our safeties and linebackers are going to be waiting. Chris, I don't want to see them come into this game with a pragmatic, conservative game plan. I want to see them hand this team their ass. I want this team to walk out of here going, we got outclassed in terms of talent, we get outcoached, and we get outgameplanned. I don't think that's an unreasonable ask, do you? No, I think it can happen. Davis Mills, rookie quarterback against McDermott. Against a poorly coached team with a real dearth of talent? I think it needs to happen. I'm not even going to wager predictions with you on this one because it needs to happen. You need to blow this team out. I'm... You need to win by more than 10 points. Well, for me, a blowout is 17 points or more. Okay. Do you perceive this being a blowout? Yes, even though I won't ever put money on this game. I can't. It's going to be like a 38 to 10. Do it by 10 and have it be 10 because the game was boring. You just ran it down their throats. You dinked and dunked, and you kept everyone healthy, and we get to roll into next week's job. I know everyone talks about don't look ahead, don't look ahead, don't look ahead. No, this is a week where I need you to show me that you're thinking about next week. Don't be afraid, as we talked about in our recap of this week's Washington game. Don't be afraid to roll out Spencer Brown in place of Cody Ford. Give Ike Bakker some... If Ike Bakker isn't better from COVID yet, he doesn't have his feet under him, I understand. Let him start getting his feet wet. Let Spencer Brown rotate in place of Cody Ford. Let's start preparing to be a more dominant version of who we are so that when we play a team that actually has a chance to beat us, I feel like that's what you need. Like This feels like the tune-up game. If I'm, I'm an Alabama fan. I talk about it all the time. This feels like us playing the Citadel before we play Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Like, I want a warm-up game. Just yeah. one, so I can see if everything still fires on all cylinders. And then I'll put in my backups, and I'll put in some depth players and see how they look, because they, they might need to come in and play, because what we're going to is war. You dominate this one, Bills. That's it. If you do anything less than that, I'm going to be painfully disappointed. Next week's recap podcast is going to be a shit show. Chris? Right or wrong? We burn this mother down if they lose. We're not going to burn down my apartment. We'll find... I'll flip your neighbor's car by hand, and then I'll set it on fire. Works for me. All right. You heard it here first. Folks, this has been fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and this is our preview of week four of the Buffalo Bills NFL season. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 